Want to make more progress towards making your dreams and your projects a reality? Stay tuned because I'll be sharing the most amazing personality profile that will show you how to work with your own nature to make your dreams come true. I'm Judith Krieger. I can't wait to get started. Well, hello there, my friends. How have you been? I have had the most amazing couple of weeks. I've been working with our Club Cocorico members and with my team on this incredible personality framework called the Four Tendencies. It's by Gretchen Rubin. She has a whole book on it, and I, I'll put the link in the show notes to this book because it has been a game changer. I just love this personality framework. It has been the most insightful discovery with really positive, helpful consequences that I've ever come across, leading to this delightful extra layer of happiness in my daily life. And I've been sharing this, as I mentioned, with the club members and with my team, and they're finding it so fascinating and so helpful. And here's why. Because these four tendencies give us a real insight into why we act and why we don't act. So you may have noticed that Things that work for one person don't necessarily work for another. In fact, it may have the complete opposite effect on another person. So Gretchen Rubin has spent many years studying happiness and habits, and she started noticing this fact that people just reacted really differently to expectations. And she noticed that people tend to fall into one of four categories – as to how we react to both inner expectations and outer expectations. And this explains exactly why we act and why we don't act. So if you've ever wondered why you've had this goal or this dream or this plan of something that you really felt like you wanted to do, but you never actually just took those first steps, or you started but then you stopped and you didn't continue, then this framework is really going to help you to understand why and then it gives you strategies and reasons and ways for you to be able to work with your own nature to really create the life that you want to create for yourself and to find a real sense of happiness. What Gretchen discovered was that people act differently towards expectations, both inner expectations, meaning The expectations we place on ourselves, such as how well we can create and maintain new habits, or how we move towards a goal, or whether or not we like or keep New Year's resolutions. They'd be your inner expectations. And then outer expectations, which are the expectations that others place on us, like meeting a work deadline, or turning up for a class, or even something as simple as washing our coffee mugs. What she discovered was that depending on a person's response to these outer and inner expectations, that we fall into one of four distinct types. And here are the types. The first one is the upholder tendency. So upholders respond readily to both outer and inner expectations. They value self-command and performance. And the best strategy for meeting expectations for upholders tends to be scheduling, putting something on a calendar, which is different for questioners. Now, questioners question all expectations. (laughs) This is me. I'm so much a questioner. 
So they meet an expectation only if they believe it's justified. So in effect, they end up responding only to inner expectations. They really need to know why and they want to know the purpose. They value justification and purpose for any given expectation, whether it be for themselves or a request or an expectation placed on them by somebody else. And the best strategy for a questioner in order for them to meet expectations or create a new habit is clarity. Now the next tendency is obligers, the obliger tendency. Obligers respond readily to outer expectations, but they really struggle to meet their inner expectations. So things that they want to do for themselves really take a back seat. What they value is teamwork and duty. In order for obligers to start meeting those, well, any expectations at all, and particularly their inner expectations, they will easily meet them or they'll easily create a new habit when there is accountability. Having someone else who relies on them to participate in activity or to complete something on time. And they can make this work for themselves in their own personal lives and pursuits as well as they do in like work situations where they know something has to be done in a, by a certain time or in a certain way because that's part of their their role and other people will be relying on them to fulfill their role. Now rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They value freedom and self-identity. So for a rebel to do anything happily, they'll really want to have freedom and choice. Without the freedom to choose at any given moment, any given thing, the pressure of the expectation will really create resistance in them. They really dislike doing something because somebody's told them to or because they feel like it's expected of them, even to the extent where what they might expect of themselves. So things like starting a new fitness regime or creating a new daily habit, they they have to build in freedom and choice into their own habits they want to create because they may wake up tomorrow morning and decide that they don't feel like doing that at all. They feel like doing something else entirely. They can do whatever they want. They just have to want to do it and it has to be not a feeling of obligation. So how cool is this, right? Just as an introduction, doesn't it just pique your curiosity and your intrigue? In my own personal life, I have found it to be enormously insightful. Now I understand how and why I act and react in certain ways being a questioner, as well as how my husband, like why he does or doesn't do things being a rebel. My husband's a rebel. The way it's improved our communications is that now whenever we want to talk about anything that's related to plans or habits or asking assistance with something, or even, for example, my husband's plans for his own self. So things like what he, what he wants to plan to do the next day or maybe eating or exercise habits that he wants to create. And if my own thoughts or suggestions that I insert into the conversation, I will do so in such a way that it creates that feeling of freedom and choice because I know that if, if it feels to him like some sort of expectation, he will resist it. He really won't want to do it. This may come out in big ways, just in an obvious no, and he's not going to do it. Or it might come out in smaller ways where he'll just take it on board, but then he won't follow through. 
And similarly, my husband's become much more understanding and patient with my questions because he understands that I'll be much happier to comply with something, with a request, with understanding anything if I know why. I really just, I want to get, I want to understand the purpose and the reason for something. And when I understand it, oh, everything else seems so much easier. It's like, okay, I'll happily do that because it makes sense to me. It really has to make sense for me to actually want to meet an expectation. And that's really common for questioners. So just knowing these things about each other has really improved how we communicate, which has been really nice. Equally, in my coaching, in my club membership and with my team here in Sydney, I can be a much more effective coach when I understand what makes each person act and react. So I'll present things in ways that will work for them individually, which may work for one member or one of my team members, but won't work for another one. I can put accountability in place for the lovely obligers. I can make sure that I offer clarity in the form of reasons and purpose for the wonderful questioners. I can build in freedom, choice, and also a link to identity for our gorgeous rebels because I know that's important for them. And I can give really clear directions for the incredible upholders who find it really easy to start and follow through on anything as long as they're very clear on what is expected of them. So I make sure I build that in. Can you imagine how this can start to play out in your own lives? For yourself, once you understand your tendency, you'll be able to more easily and more successfully take steps to start up a new project, get a project up and running, such as starting your first language session, for example, or any endeavor that you dream of, because you'll be able to put into place all the ingredients that work for you. So the first step is understanding how you function in regard to expectations, what tendency you fall into. And then the next step is to understand a whole bunch of strategies and ideas and techniques that you can put into place for yourself to help you to follow through, to help you get started, to keep you on track, to provide the clarity if you need it or the accountability if you need it and the freedom if you need that all the very clear directions so you know what's expected. All of those things you can end up putting into place for yourself and it will help you to do and achieve the things that you actually want to do in your life that make you happy and that you may not be doing. Once we realize why we're not doing it, we can then put these things in place to help us to do it. And then, of course, we're doing, we virtually do things we want to do and, of course, that increases our happiness. I did a workshop with the Club Cocorico members a couple of weeks ago and part of it was all about these tendencies and oh boy, some of the members have just really started running with it. They could see all the potential benefits in like how they deal with the children, for example, in the, in the childcare centers where they work or how can they, how they can share their project ideas and their dreams and their intentions with their family in a way that those family members will understand and support or even how they can feature some self-care into their lives while they're building up their language sessions or just being focused on being a mum as well or maybe studying as well and how they might know that they should look after themselves better and they know that they need to 
and it's been hard for them. So understanding their tendency has allowed us to work together to come up to come up with thoughts and strategies to act, that actually work alongside their nature, work with their nature and their tendency so that they do, they find it easy to fit in their self-care, in their program, so they have less chance of burning out. What I'd like to do in this episode is to give you a bit more of an outline of the four tendencies so that hopefully you'll be able to see yourself in one of them. There's a whole lot more detail and info in Gretchen Rubin's book, and I'll give you a link to that in the show notes. She also has an online quiz, which is really fun, to help you evaluate your own tendency and see where you fit in. And then in the episodes to come, I will continue to include more insights and helpful things around the tendencies so that whatever we may be discussing in each episode, you'll be able to find ways to make that work so that it make things fit in for you. So let's begin with the upholder. Upholders really want to be able to do what others others expect from them and their expectations for themselves are equally as important. As Gretchen says, the motto of the upholders is discipline is my freedom. So if you're somebody or you know, maybe you know somebody who really holds tight to their calendar, who's very disciplined in their habits, who is a real self-starter and can follow through on on just about all the expectations, what's asked of them, what they ask for themselves, they're likely to be an upholder. They're very good at looking after themselves at the same time as meeting others' expectations. So if ever they're asked to do something, as long as they have time in their calendar to do that, they will just automatically say yes and they will. you can be sure that they'll follow through and they'll do that thing. If somebody else's request or expectation clashes with what they have planned for themselves, maybe it was a swim, maybe it was a yoga class, maybe it was just something that they have planned for themselves, they'll very easily say no because what they, what they've planned for themselves is just as important as what, as them wanting to help other people out. So they will try and fit everything into their calendar if they can. And just having something on their calendar is enough for them to very easily and happily go ahead and do it. So Gretchen has explained that she's actually an upholder herself and so is her daughter. And they've both explained how they actually find it really hard to be spontaneous. Because as as her motto says, like, discipline is their freedom. So where other people, particularly rebels would find discipline like a jail that's like walls that bind them and hold them in. It's the opposite for upholders who actually, ah, they can breathe and they can find that sense of freedom within the discipline, within the calendar, within the plans, because they know what's coming, they know what's expected, and that helps them to breathe. That helps them to feel like they're in control. They love that. And sometimes that she's explained that um, for herself and for all the many, many other upholders, that they find it very challenging to try and fit in spontaneity because then it disrupts what they have planned. So they feel like they're starting to lose control. And then if we change this and we go to this restaurant instead of the one we planned, then what's going to happen to the other one and what's going to happen afterwards? (laughs) And, And so the strategy that they've found that works for them is to actually like put in calendar time spontaneity so they can feature in times throughout their days where they can just do whatever they feel like or just random things that 
invitations or things that they've been requested to do within a period of time during the day. So it's kind of like a balance that works for them because they've set out a period of time each day or each week, for example, where they can be spontaneous. But it is calendared in. It is put on their calendar. But that works for them. An upholder understanding what's required of them, what the steps are, what the outcome ought to be, or what's expected of them, and they're happy. They'll just go along and do that. They won't require supervision. So if you have a child, for example, who just easily comes home and sits down and straight away does their homework, you don't have to ask them, you don't have to supervise them, they just go and do it, chances are that they might be an upholder. They may also be an obliger because obligers, because that's an outer expectation. It's like their teacher expects them of it, so they will go and do it. It could also potentially be a question of, if they see value in it, I have my two sons are questioners. One I'm still a bit unsure about. I haven't been able to have enough conversation with him. But one is for sure a questioner and he knows and he fits perfectly into that. An example of how that questioner fit in with him and homework, for example, is if he res- if he felt like he was respected by the teachers, this is more high school, okay, rather than um, younger years. If he felt a teacher didn't respect him, then he would have no interest in doing that homework. He's like, no, I don't want to do it. Why should I do it? They don't respect me. Why should I respect Why should I respect what they want from me? And he wouldn't do it for that reason. But if he knew that a teacher respected him, he would much more happily do that homework. If he didn't see any point to the homework, if he didn't see how it was relevant to his life at any point now or in the future, he may not do it. He would really struggle with finding the purpose of doing it. That's a questioner. But for a questioner who sees the purpose, they may come home and just easily do their homework as well. That was me. I would just do my homework. Rebels, though, are likely to not want to do their homework at all. It's an expectation. And so they'll instantly be resistant to that. So now an example, going back to the upholders, what Gretchen was saying, um, she could relate to in her daughter, because her daughter, I think 13 or so, who was saying they went on a holiday and and the daughter had to do some projects. She had some homework to do during the holidays. And they were with their grandparents and their grandparents were saying, come on, you can do that homework later. Like, let's just go out and do this. It's not that important. You're on holidays. And the daughter just found that so, so hard. It like really, really upset her. And this is more of a sign of a, an upholder from what I can understand is they actually get can get really perturbed and disturbed and upset if they're not able to do what they know they have to do and so finally they were allowed but luckily her mom being an upholder too she totally understood and she said okay how about we put aside two hours every morning we'll sit down we'll get your homework down get some assignments done finish something off because they really want to see things completed and then you're free for the rest of the day ah the daughter felt she could breathe in that yeah i feel good the daughter was saying if you're a parent of an upholder or a friend, just a, the best thing is just to allow us to do what we really feel compelled that we have to do because otherwise, if we don't do it and we, and we kind of go with you and do something else, we're not going to be happy. We're going to be so troubled that it's really not worth it for anybody. So that maybe is a sign of an upholder, be, upholder being either adult or child. They can seem a little rigid because they must stick to their calendars. But when we understand how important that is for their self, 
their sense of self and their sense of control over their their days, we can allow them to do that. And equally in what they want to do for themselves, allow them to do what they feel they need to do at any given time because they likely won't break that anyway. And then just fit in your requests around that. So that's a bit of an outline of an upholder. Maybe some of you see yourselves fitting in with that. Or maybe you know somebody who fits with that. Let's have a look at obligers. Obligers really struggle with inner expectations. They will very easily meet outer expectations. In fact, they feel compelled. They feel obliged to say yes to everybody and everything. But when it comes to themselves and what they might want from themselves or for themselves, they really struggle to meet that. Maybe you can relate to that or maybe you know someone who's like that, someone who says yes all the time and they will tend to be the go-to person. Maybe you have someone in a work situation or in your family who people will go to to ask for a favor because that obliger, that person having an obliger tendency will automatically say yes. But then they, you might notice that they want to, for example, go to the gym or go to a Zumba class or or do their artwork or something that's just for them, if there's nobody else relying on them to do that, they will mostly not do it. They may really struggle to do that. You'll often hear them say things, yeah, like I really should do this or I really should be doing that, but then they don't actually do it. Now, the bligers themselves can tend to see that in a really good light. They feel that that's the way to be because you're helping everybody out all the time. But others actually can look at that and say, well, why did you say yes, you would do something if you didn't want to do it? Because obligers may end up doing things that they really don't want to do just because they feel that they should. They'll do something for somebody else. Yes, 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 yes. And then they may get frustrated and others will look in and say, well, why did you say yes if you didn't want to do it? But the obligers explain that they feel compelled that they have to say yes and do this thing. And sometimes, interestingly, sometimes they will think that others are expecting a certain action from them, but really it's only themselves. They've like taken that upon themselves and no one else is expecting it of them at all. One of the consequences of obligers readily saying yes to every everything and then not taking that time to look after themselves or doing what they want for themselves very often is that it can lead them to what Gretchen calls obliger rebellion, where they can just suddenly refuse. And it seems really out of character for them. And they say that they can't, they don't feel themselves when they do this. And sometimes it's just in little ways where they might just refuse to answer an email, whereas normally they would be answering every, every email, every text message all the time, instantly. As soon as they see it, they'll answer it. Or sometimes it's in big ways where that's it, I'm out of here, I'm leaving this job, I'm leaving this marriage, I'm, you know, in really big ways. And even it can show up in health issues like unexplained health concerns. That has been found to be often a a reaction to this obliger rebellion. So what obligers need is accountability. So if they have a deadline, if they have somebody else who's expecting them to do something who will be let down or feel disappointed if they don't do it, they will easily do it. And to help them avoid that 
burnout, that sense of burnout and reaching that point of obliged rebellion, if you're a partner or a sweetheart or a friend or a colleague of somebody who you know has those tendencies, the way to help is to kind of find a way to create accountability for them doing what they need to do for themselves and what they want to do for themselves. And obliges, if you feel that you're in this tendency, this is a way that Gretchen says and that I've heard from many people really works for them is that as soon as somebody's depending on them, they'll do it. So for example, if you want to feature jogging as a habit, you want to make a habit of jogging once or twice a week or every day, for example, whatever it happens to be, but you just never kind of do it. You just never do it. The idea would be that maybe you join a group of people who jog and they all jog at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning. And because there are people there relying on you being there, because you have that outer accountability, because you're part of a class or a group, it's much easier for obligers to then go and do that thing. So you see, using that accountability can help the obliger to actually do what they want to do and what's going to be good for them, just for looking after themselves. So things like having a class to go to, having students is another one. Like when you have students, those those students rely on you. So therefore, teaching something can be a way for you to actually do the thing because you do it for those students. So maybe it's a hobby that you love doing, but you never give yourself time to do it. Perhaps you could decide to teach that. And therefore, you'll actually be doing that thing. You will do it because students rely on you and it's doing what you love. You see, so you're creating a way for you to work with your own tendency, your own nature to do the things that you want to do, as well as the things that everybody else is asking you to do. It's pretty cool. Once you understand how to work with your own tendency, you can put these structures, these strategies, these ideas, these choices in place for you to help you do what you want to do, which is going to elevate your level of happiness. So. Questioners, questioners like myself, want to understand why. What's the purpose of a request? (laughs) I can so relate to this. So if a questioner is asked to do something, whether that be by a spouse or a doctor or a teacher or a work colleague or a boss, try to give them reasons why that thing is important and maybe give them results. Like they'll be important because of these benefits and these are going to be the benefits of this new action because without knowing why, they will have some resistance to that expectation. Now, in order to to beat that resistance, a lot of questioners will go and do a lot of research. My mum's a questioner too and she does that. She's she's a far more in-depth questioner than I am. She will go home and research in great detail you know, all the medications that might be suggested to her, or all the, all the benefits of, of a particular technique, or she just loves that stuff. And until she has come to a conclusion that she knows what the benefits are, she won't make a decision to go and follow that expectation. I'm not that extreme as in a questioner, but I always, always ask doctors, I find I always ask them why. So if they just tell me we take this, I'll be saying, okay, well, what will that do for me? Yeah, are there any side effects? Uh, what's the purpose of it? I always want to understand why they're suggesting what they're suggesting. And once I understand it, if I agree with it, I'll go ahead and do it. 
And that can be the same with just little requests. Just the little things around the house. Someone tells you to pick up that hat. It's like, well, why would I have to pick up that hat? Why can't you pick up that hat? Why are you asking me to do it? What's the point? Can't I leave the hat where it is? <laughs> Put that hat somewhere else. Why? You know, it's just, it's that need to know why. And as soon as we know why, we'll make a decision about whether or not we'll actually follow through. Now, some questioners may decide to follow through on a request, even if it makes no sense at all. So, if you can glean from this, the questioners want things to make sense. It has to make sense to us. It has to make sense to a questioner. But even if something doesn't make sense, a questioner may decide to follow through on it just, for example, because it'll make that person happy. So their reason for doing it is to make the person happy, not because there's any sense in the actual act <laughs> that they're being requested to perform. Or maybe just to stop that person asking, to stop them bugging you about something, they may decide to go ahead and do that thing or get it done early in the day because they know if they do, then that person will stop asking for them and then they're free. Asking for it and then they're free. So see how it all kind of ends up being an inner expectation for questioners because they kind of run it by their inner, inner justification system and decide whether or not it's worthwhile following through on. So if you are a questioner, finding clarity in something, finding clarity in why. So say, for example, you want to start your language sessions. You want to begin a project. You want to follow through on a project. You want to create something. Giving yourself a sense of clarity, like why are you doing it? What are the reasons you're doing it? Are really going to make it easier for you to actually take those steps. Why is it important to you? Why are the results important to you? What's it going to feel like? Once you know those things, it's going to be so much easier for you to, to follow through. Once questioners have decided to go ahead with something, it's really easy for them to get started and to follow through. They tend not to need supervision or, or accountability. They'll just do it because they know why. And they feel good. They feel in agreement about that. They feel good about that, whether that be for themselves or for somebody else. Now, some questioners can get so bogged down into trying to find the details and the information about all the small decisions they have to make that it turns into analysis paralysis. They're so bogged down in the analysis that they can't make a decision. So one way for a questioner to help themselves along with that is to like, if you feel that way yourself or you know somebody who does that, if you can give yourself a limit. So say, okay, I'm going to, going to give myself two days to research which company I want to go with to build a new kitchen or which bicycle is going to be the best bicycle to buy, for example. And just put a limit on to how much time they give themselves or you give yourself because that can really help them then to, okay, at the end of that two days, I'm going to make a decision and that will help them to actually finally make a decision. <laughs> Not all questioners go fall into that, get drawn into that need for more and more information. I'm not one of them, but I know of people who do. And I've heard of people talking about doing that and that strategy can really work for them. So clarity. And if you want a question to do, to do something for you or with you, give them a reason why, why it's beneficial. And you've got much more ch chance of them saying, yeah, sure, no worries. All right, now let's get around to rebel. Rebels just resist all expectations, outer and inner. 
they absolutely need a sense of freedom and choice and their self-identity, their self-expression is also really important to them. So anybody expecting anything of them is going to create resistance and depending on the person, they may resist in a big way, they may resist in small ways, but it just constricts, they feel this sense of constriction whereby, oh my gosh, I don't want to do it just because I've been asked to do it. And that can even work against them like something that they even wanted to do themselves and were planning to do themselves and then somebody else comes along and says, hey, you need to do that or asks them to do that thing. Their instant reaction is, oh, well, I don't want to do it anymore. I only wanted to do it because it felt like fun because I wanted to. Now I'm doing it because somebody expects me to. It's a totally different feeling. And so they likely won't do that thing. Or if they do, it'll be very begrudgingly. (laughs) Do you know anybody like this? Or people who really struggle, rebels really struggle to even follow through on things they want to do for themselves. So say they want to create a fitness regime. And they think, right, every day I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this, 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 this. And then they just never do it. Well, this is different to an obliger reason. The reason the rebel, the obliger wouldn't be doing it because they need somebody else to rely on them to do it. They need that outer accountability. Whereas a rebel won't be doing it because they don't know what they're going to feel. They'll wake up the next morning and I don't feel like doing that. They can do anything that they want to do. They just have to want to do it. And so at any given time, they may or may not feel like doing something which may or may not make them follow through. And they can even, when they put that expectation on themselves, that can annoy them too. It's like they've told themselves to do something, so therefore they don't want to do it. (laughs) It can even, not always, but can get to that extreme. So if you're a rebel, maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you know a rebel. You can relate to people acting or reacting like this. What tends to work for them, like with the example of fitness, say, is for them to build in a sense of freedom in their choices as to how they carry through on their fitness so that they don't feel expected, either that they expected themselves or that somebody else expected them to do a certain thing, a, a, a certain activity or at a certain time. Classes, for example, probably don't work for them. Accountability will make them really resistant so very different to obliges account if somebody expects is relying on it they're really going to not want to do it (laughs) if they they'll only do it if they really want to and it gives them pleasure to so as you soon as you throw in that level of expectation it changes the feeling for them it changes their motivation completely and that can make them not do it so with fitness for example i've heard some suggestions that have worked for some rebels whereby Instead of saying, okay, I'm going to ride my bike every day for 20 minutes, or I'm going to go to this gym, to this class, at this gym, that will likely not happen because with the time that that class is on this particular week, they'll decide they won't want to do it because they're not free to do it whenever they want to. So some people have, for example, got memberships or just found out when all the different classes and all the different gyms are on in the area And then they can just pick which one they want to go to on any given day. Or somebody else suggested putting a whole bunch of, or like a to-do list, to-do list. They would hate a to-do list. And Upholder loves a to-do list, thrives on a to-do list. A rebel feels so constricted by it, makes them so mm, resistant that they, they don't want to do any of it. 
So to make it easier, one rebel came up with the idea of having a could-do list. And they put a bunch of all things that they could get done during the day into like a hat or a box or a container. And they just close their eyes and they pick one out. And they found that that helped them. That kind of gave them a sense of freedom and choice that didn't feel beholden to it. They just thought, oh, I could do this. Okay, I'll go and do that. The question then is, okay, will they pick something out and decide, oh, no, I don't want to do that. What's another one? (laughs) But there are strategies like that that rebels have found much more helpful for them to follow through on what they want for themselves. Our rebels will really thrive in an environment where their opinions and and their self-direction is valued and just allowing them to do things in their own way, in their own time, and they will do it happily. If they have to turn up to a meeting at a certain time, they likely won't turn up. <laughs> this is this is how they can react or they turn up late because it bothers them to have to be there at a certain time. But if they can participate in things or do things at their own time in their own way, that gives them a sense of freedom and choice and they will likely get it done. So it's the same if you're working with rebel children. A lot of people have apparently made the mistake of thinking that toddlers are all rebels But then my parents, mums of rebel children have said, oh my gosh, no, you ain't seen nothing until you've seen a rebel child. (laughs) It's another step up from your normal toddler rebellion. I heard of one rebel child, little rebel boy, who refused to wear his t-shirt in any other way than inside out and back to front. And until the mother realized, oh my gosh, he's a rebel, That really frustrated her. And of course, she's always trying to, hey, that's not how you wear it. You're supposed to wear it like this. Just saying that you're supposed to wear it like that is going to automatically make them want to do it differently because they want to be individual. They want to be able to choose and be themselves. So when she realized this about her child, she just kind of breathed through and said, okay, that's just, I'm going to let him be. Rebels, rebels have requested, adult rebels have requested that parents (laughs) of rebels, having been child rebels as they're growing up, that they really just love having the respect of their parents to be able to be who they are and do things differently and not to be criticized or judged for not complying or not wanting to do if they're forced to do things they they say that they really lose themselves which of course is not healthy for anybody they really lose who they are and they really can struggle with that for years as an adult until they can come back to finding ways to being themselves so that that's right out of the mouths of, of, of rebels themselves. And I've heard this a number of times. What rebels need is information, consequences, and choice. So a couple of examples that Gretchen gave were, one was, for example, encouraging a child to wear sunscreen to go outside to play. If the child's a rebel, she suggested the best, an example of the best way to go about it to get compliance would be, in the form of information, consequences, and choice. You might say to the child, you know, when people go outside in the hot sunshine, their skin can burn and then it can blister and it gets really sore. Would you like to wear sunscreen or would you prefer to wear a long sleeve t-shirt? You see, so she's given the information that they can burn, the consequences are that it gets really sore, and then there's a choice. And that rebel will be much happier to choose one of those choices with that information than if you just say, you need sunscreen, put it on before you go outside. And they're likely to rebel against that. She gave another example of, of a rebel adult who was going to a big school function, a big 
our parents' dinner function and kept receiving emails. The emails were being sent out all the time to reserve their places, say, to confirm whether or not they're going and who they'd like to sit with. And then they would try and put them with the, the, with the acquaintances, friends who they know. The wording in the email made them not want to do it. She didn't do it. And then she, she turned up and she turned up to the, to the evening and had to sit at a table with a bunch of people who she didn't know. And she complained the whole time. So the trick is in the wording of the email, for example, it would have, that person would have had more chance to actually make a decision and reply if it was presented along the lines of, when we know who's coming, we can seat people with those who they'd like to be seated with. If we don't know until the last minute, then you may end up having to sit with people who you don't know because all the plan- because all the tables have been set out. If you let us know early, we'll be able to seat you with people who you really want to sit with. If you let us, if you let us know, know late, you'll likely will have to end up sitting at a table where you don't know anybody. Let me know in your own time. Okay, so see the choice is there, the freedom is there. Just let me know in your own time. But they have the information and they have the consequences and then it's totally up to them which way they want to go. There's more chance of them responding early. So can you see how understanding these tendencies can be enormously helpful in how we communicate with each other and how we start and follow through on our desires, on our dreams and how we all support each other? I hope you found this interesting and insightful and intriguing. I know I did. I just, I can't get enough of understanding it and using it. So um, as I mentioned, I'm going to put the links to Gretchen Rubin's website and her book in the show notes. So if you go to cocoricoworld.com slash 19, this is episode number 19, find the show notes and at the bottom you'll see the links. Go there and check out for yourself. And then we'll continue these conversations in coming, in upcoming episodes, because this is so cool, right? This can all help. This can help all of us to really follow through on what we want to do. Bring that extra element of happiness into our lives and into our choices. I hope you've loved it. And I'd love to hear from you. I really, really love hearing from you guys. So if you found anything useful or helpful in this, just send me an email, Judith at Cocorico, that's C-O-C-O-R-I-C-O dot com dot A-U. Just shoot me an email. Say, hey, I found it really interested what you were talking about today. I would love to hear for any of the episodes. If you have any questions or anything you'd like me to bring up in an episode, let me know. Anything that's really rung true for you or you found useful, let me know. And if you're listening on Apple, I'd love it if you give me a review. That'd be so cool. If you can review the episode, review the podcast, that helps it to show up for more people. And the more people we can reach, the more we can do amazing things together. I hope you can use understanding your own tendency as a way to really find your voice and to be your voice and then to do something amazing with your voice. And I will catch you in the next episode. Bye.